0: Well, what a great story, and uh, what a great family, and and to see how that story involves all of the family, when you foster, uh, everybody in the family is a part of it, you know, the church family is a part of it, because every foster family that is a part of a church family uh, needs that support and encouragement uh, and the help of their church family, and I am so blessed to be here today and Living Hope and to see a church family that is passionate about orphan care. I preach at a different church across the state of Kentucky every Sunday. We have 2,400 churches and I serve to direct the cooperative mission work of those churches and not every church has orphan care on the radar and to see uh, the extent to which Living Hope is all in in that regard just Blesses me so much, and so thank you, Pastor Jason, and uh, staff pastors, for your leadership in that regard. And thank you for inviting me to be here. The stewardship of this pulpit is no small thing, and to know that you have a pastor who faithfully preaches the word, who loves the word, uh, certainly it, it encourages me. Uh, but it sets a standard that I know this church is known for, and I don't want to fall short of that today. I appreciate so much all that you're doing as a church. You know, many of those things, but uh, so many ministries you're aware of, uh, of the work of Living Hope and the places you're involved. But, you know, there's some things that, that you're a part of as a church family you may not know about. And, and so I just want to say thank you uh, on, on behalf of some of those ministries that you may not be as aware of. But when you put your money in the offering plate a few moments ago, a part of that, in fact, a sacrificial part of that, uh, goes to the cooperative work of Kentucky Baptists and Southern Baptists and and I'm able to see the impact of that. There are 50 new churches being planted across Kentucky right now today. The Living Hope is helping fund through your cooperative uh, program offering that just is just a part of your uh, everyday offerings. There are 1,100 hurting kids in Kentucky, victims of abuse, and neglect that you're ministering to. You're loving one of them. is in our home. Uh, But through our uh, James 127 ministry of Kentucky Baptist known as Sunrise Children's Services, uh, you're touching the lives of 1,100 hurting kids in Kentucky. There's a thousand new churches being planted uh, across North America. We've got 3,600 missionaries overseas, and all of that is a part of the Southern Baptist work that you're helping fund. And so, one of the things I wanted to say quickly today is just thank you, thank you for what you're doing. We're looking today, just continuing as the pastor said, this semester, a series of sermons. We're in the uh, book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56. And I will encourage you to turn with me in God's Word, Isaiah 56. I'll be reading the first eight verses. And as I do, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Lord always speaks through His Word. Sometimes through messengers in his word. He's speaking on his own behalf this morning. Isaiah 56, verse 1 begins, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, and let not the eunuch say, "Behold, I am a dry tree." For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant: I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, it shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him to love the name of the Lord to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it holds fast to My covenant. These I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. For My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares. I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered. God add His blessing with the reading and hearing of word. Thank you for standing. May be seated. <laughs> Our family's adoption story began on a mission trip, much like many of you take mission trips with a living hope to go overseas and do work and share the gospel. Uh, my wife Michelle and I were on a mission trip. Uh, To Brazil, we were working in the slums outside of Rio de Janeiro, a very hopeless and impoverished area. We had gone with a large team from our church, and uh, we were doing all sorts of different kind of projects. We were building a church building for a group of believers who had begun meeting in a home and had grown to the point that literally they were spilling out into the yard. So we were there to help construct a church building for them. We were doing door-to-door evangelism. We had a vacation Bible school work for. Uh, The kids from the community. We also had a medical clinic there. It was a busy eight or nine days that we were there. But the very first day, as soon as we stepped off the bus, there was a little girl named Eliana, a little nine year old, stringy haired, skinny girl who began to follow my wife around. And she followed her around throughout Bible school and door to door evangelism. And when we stopped for meals, just about every time Michelle turned around, she was stumbling over Eliana. She stayed right there with us every day when we worked in her community. We did not meet Eliana's mother until the last day. In fact, we were loading up the bus literally to leave and to make our journey to the airport and come home when Eliana's mother showed up. She found my wife still. and she began talking to her in Portuguese. She couldn't understand anything she was saying, but she noted that that. Uh, This lady was very emotional and very passionate. And one of the interpreters stepped in and began to interpret what Eliana's mother was saying. Over and over and over again, she was saying, Take her. Take her. Please take my daughter with you. There is no hope for her here. she has no future here, please take my daughter. As emotional sure as that moment became for us as we thought about a mother trying to give away her daughter, but in hopes that her daughter might have some hope and some future. We stepped back, considered that situation, later reflected upon it, and realized that very much hope was missing from her life. There wasn't much of a promise of a future where she was. The Bible talks of salvation in those terms. God wants to provide hope and a future for those who are hopeless, for those who don't have a future. The Bible tells us that because we've all sinned and we're separated from God, we're all hopeless without a future. We all need what He has to offer And in fact, when we think about a person being saved, if they're in Christ, they have an adoption story. All of us who are in Christ have an adoption story. You say, I've never thought of it that way, or I don't have an adoption story. Well, as we look this morning at Isaiah 56, I want you to understand that you can't have an adoption story. I want you to understand what God wants to do in your life and how you can know. God as your eternal Father. Looking again at the passage, I just want to draw some truths out here. the first thing that I would point out to you is this: if you want to know God as your eternal Father, you first should consider your plight, uh, your need for Him. Beginning in verse 1: Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness for soon, my salvation will come, and my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast and keeps the Sabbath not profaning and keeps his hand from doing evil. No, let them not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. You know, that very first verse there, as the chapter starts, the Lord is obviously speaking to his people, Israel, to the to the chosen people, the elect. To the Israelites, he, he is he is making his promise of Salvation and deliverance, and asking them to consider their duty, considering the kindness that He would show them. God calls upon His people to keep justice, to do righteousness. In short, those who have received the kindness of the Lord. Who would receive it in the salvation that he is promising here, have an obligation to honor the Lord and to show kindness to others? Why did the people need the Lord's salvation? Well, they had turned against God. God had chosen them. He had lavished them with his love. But as they turned against them, against them, God had also poured out his judgment. God had allowed Israel's enemies to overrun her. Many of them were taken into captivity. The temple had been destroyed. God's judgment sat upon the people, and then God showed mercy. Some of the people were able to come back, and the temple was rebuilt. And then God is promising more mercy and deliverance to come. Why? Because the people still needed it, even though uh, God had judged them, and now and, and is showing some mercy. The people were continuing to turn from the Lord. They may have showed up to the new temple to worship on Sabbath, but. They were also going to the altars of the false gods. God is saying to them, A day of salvation will come to you. You're still a sinful people in need of forgiveness and hope. Of course, God's assuring words here in the first verse of the chapter might have left the others wondering what about us, those of us who aren't a part of the elect, those of us who aren't a part of Israel? What about the rest of the world? Have the foreigners any place in the Father's family, any hope for salvation and deliverance that God is promising to Israel? Is there any promise for the eunuch who's not only a slave but one who has no descendants? For the most hopeless. Is there any hope for us? You spent some time a couple of weeks ago with your pastor looking at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, think about the plight of one who is, who is not only a servant, a slave, but, uh, but has no children. Uh, I really could not identify with that. In fact, even the horror of slavery had escaped me until another mission trip that I was on. We were in West Africa working, Dakar, uh, Senegal. And in the uh, afternoon off, uh, we went to tour uh, a place known as Gore Island. just a small island off the coast of Dakar. But it, it was a colony settled by the French slave traders. Uh, and most of the, the slave trade went through Gore Island. And as we toured the island, we came to one particular uh, building. And our guide explained to us that this was uh, a slave auction house. We stepped through the gate and found ourselves standing literally in the midst of an auction ring. There was a balcony there just above it. We were told this is where the traders would bid on the slaves. It took me back to my days as a boy in London, Kentucky. Saturday mornings, we would get up and go with our father to the auction, and we would. Enter into uh, the auction ring and sit in the bleachers, all the familiar sights and sounds and smells. And, and Dad would bid on the cows or the horses uh, or the sheep or the goats. Yet here I stood in a ring where it was human beings being bought and sold. We stepped out of that auction ring to a hallway that led around the ring. And as we went in the hallway, there was just a Room on her left and chiseled in the stone above the doorway it was a French word for men, and it was explained to us this is where the men were held before they were taken. They'd been kidnapped literally from their homes and families, brought to the island, they were held in this room, and then they would be taken into the rain to be sold as slaves. We came further down the hallway, and there was yet another door and chiseled in. And in the stone above the doorway was the French word for women, and it was explained to us this is where the females were held. And then we came to a third door, and chiseled in the stone was La the French word for children. And it was explained to us this is where the children were held. And the guide went on to say that. This was all very intentional. That the family unit was broken apart as soon as they were brought into the auction house. He so said, you, you would not sell family members to the same buyer because that spelled trouble. Experience had taught them. you sell a man and his wife to the same buyer, when the wife begins to be abused, you're going to have trouble from the husband. You sell the children along with their parents, and when the children begin to be uh, abused, Any mother or father, even if it costs them their life, they're going to step in. And so they've taken care of that problem at least by just tearing the family unit apart. Oh, the horror of life as a slave. The hopelessness, the sense of no future. Maybe the eunuch slave was better off, no children to worry about at least. The Bible often uses the imagery of slavery to talk about the condition of every human being. All have sinned and fall short, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, and the one who sins is a slave to sin. Every human being, whatever the sin has been in your life and my life, lust, greed, injustice perpetrated upon others, all spiritually speaking, slaves to sin, without a hope, without a future. That is our plight. We need a father, we need a redeemer, we need one who would rescue us. Consider your plight. Then comprehend God's promises. The Lord offers promise upon promise upon promise to people who held in bondage by their sin. We, we see some of those returning again to the text again verse 4, the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, uh, those who, who are slaves literally as well as uh, those who are without children, without descendants, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose things that please me and honor and hold fast my covenant, I, I will give my, my, my house and within my walls and a name I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an the everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister Him, to to love the, the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane and holds fast my covenant. These will I bring into My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. For My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What great promises! I mean, you think about the condition of the eunuch, the one who clearly was a slave and without sons or daughters or the prospect of having sons or daughters. Uh, the Lord says to that one, I will welcome you into my house within my walls. You'll be honored there with a monument and a name that is even better than the names of my sons and daughters. The, the foreigners will be welcomed in as well to the Lord's house of worship. In fact, we'll call it a house of prayer for all the peoples or for all the nations. It will be named in your honor. For as much as we talk about redemption and forgiveness, when we talk about the gospel, the ultimate goal of the gospel, at least for us, is adoption, is it not? I mean, we need forgiveness. Why? So the Father can accept us into His family, that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. God is glorified not only as Christ pays the debt of our sin, but as those bought by His blood become His sons and daughters. And glorify Him and worship to eternity. When you've always had a father, always had a family, it may be difficult to, to appreciate what it means not to have a father, not to have a family. We've got a 20 year old son, biological, an 18 year old daughter. That they really can't appreciate what it means to not have a father. But one of our children is a foster daughter. She was three when she came to us. Uh, she's in the care of Sunrise Children's Services, uh, your ministry here at Living Hope, the ministry of Kentucky Baptist. 1,100 hurting kids being ministered to of more than 8,000 who are in the state system. Sunrise is the largest private provider of care. When Sunrise contacted us about uh, taking a three year old as a foster daughter, we were a little hesitant. We'd had a teenage boy for about a year, he'd received a new placement. And again, here we've got a 20 year old, an 18 year old. Uh, we, we've got another daughter who's going in middle school. And I'm thinking, listen, I'm getting closer to 50 than 40. Three, uh, I don't think so. Uh, Michelle and I, my wife and I talked about it. She kind of felt the same way. And, and then as we really began to pray about it and dwell and, and upon it, we realized that the biblical mandate to care for orphans doesn't say much about it, which kids fit your life stage or your lifestyle. So we took a plug. And then the plunge. Uh, Our foster daughter is now four. She was has uh, been a great blessing to uh, us. She has an older sister. Her older sister is in a residential treatment uh, program. not uh, able yet to be in a foster family setting because of just the deep woundedness all that she's been through in her life, and are trying to get her ready to be in a family setting, but. She comes to visit with us uh, a night or two a week uh, to put the girls back together and and just to get her out of that setting for a break. We were staying at the dinner table one night a few weeks ago, and just out of the blue, she was sitting just to my left. She turns, looks at me, and says, Do you know why I'm glad my little sister's here? I wasn't sure what she was going to say, and yet I, I didn't want to. Discourage her. I wanted to be able to talk freely, and so I just kind of let her open. Up. I said, No, oh, why are you glad she's here? And that's when she said, I'm glad she's here because she has a daddy. And she's never had a daddy. What occurred to me at that moment was this 13 year old is happy her little sister has a daddy even though she doesn't have a The experience of those girls helps me appreciate the promises of God. In Isaiah 56. Consider what God has promised, salvation, deliverance, honor, joy, acceptance, a place within His walls, within the family, to any who would trust in Him. You, you, you can read through those verses I'm very carefully. You'll see all of that laid out How can God make such grand promises? Because He's already fulfilled those promises in Christ. Has He not? Jesus promised to provide for our salvation, and He did so by giving His life. God promised He would deliver us, and indeed He did when He delivered His Son up for us. Jesus has brought us honor by his willingness to be dishonored. We have joy because of his sorrow. We have the promise of acceptance because he was rejected. We have a place within the walls because Jesus was sacrificed outside of the camp, as the Bible says. He's brought us into the family by laying down his rights as the son. To pay for our adoption, God is he has kept His promises. And hundreds of years after uh, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, we see a very uh, practical and very real example of that for the Ethiopian eunuch, as he learns of the gospel and puts his trust in Christ and receives the promises of God. Two thousand years after that, God's promises are still so true. His promises are still being kept for any who would trust in Jesus. Those promises are real, and I sure that God is my eternal Father. There's one more point I want to make, and we must make it because it closes the deal. Come home, come home. Look again at verse eight. The Lord God, who declares, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, "I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered." It's a picture here God in pursuit of those who need a father and a family. This week, many will go home, and others will have our families come to our home. Thanksgiving celebrations. Week looks different for any of us, depending on our experiences. I, I, I don't know what it will feel like to you. If you're returning to a childhood home, there may be lots of emotions that uh, run through you as you step. Through those familiar doorways, maybe a lot of, of sentiments, a sense of, of security, this, this is where you were raised, the family who cared for you, as joy as you're reunited with your loved ones, the, the, the feeling of being loved as you step back in to that family setting. For others, you, you may walk through those doors and, and be overcome with pain and loss and anger and resentment and grief, depending on what your experience was. You, you, you may not be going home because you may not have a home to go home to, you may be staying home, and yet no one is coming home to be with you. Our experiences in the holidays can be so different based on our backgrounds and our families, the sentiment that surrounds the holidays, that sentiment that is depicted in songs and movies and traditions and celebrations is something you know, that, that that touches all of us because all of us want and need a home. All of us want and need a family. All of us want and need a father For se. The Lord God who gathers the children who have strayed, promises to gather others, he is a kind and gracious and loving Father. Even to the fatherless. And he is ready to adopt in his family any who repent and trust in Christ. He welcomes you to come home. If you're already home, and that you know him and you are his. Church, we must understand that we have been given the call to extend to others. And a part of that call as we think practically about oh, what, what we read here in Isaiah 56 is a call to the disenfranchised, a, uh, uh, a call to the hurting, a call to the fatherless even. In the book of Galatians, Paul links uh, the gospel to adoption, helping us understand that, that the time came when God sent forth His son to adopt us. And we understand also James 1.27 calls upon the church to reach out to, minister to, and love the orphans, the fatherless. can we claim that we are taking the gospel seriously, that we are obeying the Lord until or at last we are practicing true and undefiled religion and ministering to the fatherless? mentioned I have four kids, none of us named Eliana, by the way, if you're wondering how that mission trip turned out in Brazil. Despite the pleadings of her mother, we could not adopt Eliana, but once she had a mother, and too, the Brazilian government does not cooperate with international adoptions. But you know the Lord used that experience to put upon my heart and my wife's heart uh, the plight of orphans the world over it wasn't long before the Lord led us to China, as we understood the plight of so many abandoned baby girls in that nation. The Lord led us to Kai. Kai was found in a box in a marketplace, abandoned at birth, still had her umbilical cord attached, just a newborn baby left in a box in a crowded area where she would be found. However, the gentleman heard the baby cry and called the police. The police took her to an orphanage where she spent the first ten months of her life literally tied to the rails of the baby bed. Her ankles to those rails because there was more than one baby in the bed, and that's how they sort of keep them separated to separate, the rails. We traveled to get her and adopted her again when she was ten months. Took about three months for those blue and green bruises around her right ankles to fade. But almost immediately she began to flourish in the care and love of a family. Today Kai is ten and she runs the Chitwood household. Or at least she thinks like she does. She's brought us such joy. As I reflect upon the kindness of the Lord. Allowing us to adopt kind, I realize anew that the plight of the orphan must rest heavy upon the hearts of God's people if we would truly honor the Lord. What does that look like for you? What does the plight of the orphan and God's call uh, to put your religion on display by caring for the orphan look like for you? the Lord been digging with you about foster parenting? I, I love the honesty of the video. Uh, we, we had those same feelings. Like, oh, oh, no. You know what? If we love them too much. How could we let them go? We're not sure we need to be foster parents. And then we realized, you know, that's really more about us than about a hurting kid. We're afraid to get our hearts broken. But did the Lord Jesus call us to deny ourselves? To come alongside? Another who is you can say, I'll take some of that pain for you. I'll carry some of the burden so you don't have to. Adoption on your mind or on your heart. You say that's expensive. Well, you know how much we Americans spend on our pets each year? Try $50 billion. That's secure about 5 million adoptions given the government tax break and there's more orphans than that in the world. You so, say, well, that's still too expensive given our family situation. Well, let me introduce you to foster, to adopt, and share with you that the government pays you to take care of kids like that, and the adoption pays are waived. You say, so, well, still, that's not a plan. Well, there is a place for you. I assure you, because there's a place for all that us supporting another family, Who's fostering or not to be a part of a church ministry in a church, giving generously to support that work. The Lord must have orphans on His heart because He had you on His heart and He had me on His heart, and we were without a heavenly Father because we were lost in our sin. But God loved us enough to welcome us. Let us go and do the same. Father, as we find, we invite you to bow know, with me this morning as we pray together. Father, we do thank you for your great love, for the kindness that you have shown us, and to to the gift of your Son who willingly laid down his life that we could be forgiven and welcomed into your family. Father, I pray if there's one here who has not yet received that greatest of all gifts, not yet found a place in your family today by your Spirit, you would. Convince them of the truth of the gospel. Convict them of their need of a Savior. That you would save them and find them willing to confess you as Lord. Pray for the rest of us, those of us who are already in Christ in this church. Lord, help us to be found faithful and living with justice and righteousness, and loving us. We pray that in Christ. I Let I do about you just saying. <laughs>